0: Welcome to the Westminster Chapel Podcast. For more information and to support our mission to London and beyond, please visit westminsterchapel.org.uk. So this morning I'm going to be reading from the book of Judges, which is from the Old Testament in the Bible. So if you're new to church, the Bible's split into two parts, and the old part is everything leading up to Jesus, and the New Testament is all about once Jesus actually came to earth and once he ascended. So I'm reading from the Old Testament book of Judges, and it's chapter 6, verses 11 to 24. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, it's Judges 6, 11 to 24. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Opera, which belonged to Joash the uh, right, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valour. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you. And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went to his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ether of flour. The meat he put in a basket, and the broth he put in a pot, and brought them to him under the terebinth and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes, and put them on this rock, and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock. And consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and called it the Lord is Peace. To this day it stands at Ophrah, and belongs to the Ebezrites. So let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are true, that your word is true, and we thank you that your word is life. Father, we thank you that Jesus was the word made flesh. I pray that you prepare our hearts to see Jesus in every word that is preached this morning. I pray that you will bless Keegan as he preaches your word and that as he does so we will receive clarity, that we will receive your peace and that we will receive your wisdom through your word preached. We give you praise and we give you glory and we say ready our hearts so that we may receive from you all that you have prepared for us in your word this morning. Amen.
1: Am I on? Yes. Good. Well, good morning. And um, Megan, well done on reading what is a a slightly uh, challenging piece of scripture with a whole bunch of odd names, so um, spare a thought for me as we go through the rest of it. (laughs) Um, I want to start this morning by reading uh, you a letter. It's a letter written by a guy called Wayne Grudem, who is a New Testament scholar and a professor of theology at Phoenix Seminary. And you may know, or perhaps you, you don't, but he, in 2015, was diagnosed with Parkinson's. And he writes this letter to a friend of his. It says, the symptoms that I have now include a diminishing, fine motor control so that my handwriting is less legible and more crowded together. And in typing, I sometimes hit a key twice or not at all. And my mouse control is not as precise as it used to be. It's harder to button my shirt, and sometimes I feel a tiny tremor when reaching for things. I can still do all these things, but they are a bit slower and take more concentration. In addition, I seem to be moving my arms and legs more slowly in ordinary daily activities. And my wife, Margaret, says that sometimes my facial expression seems a bit fallen, and I notice that it's harder to smile. Challenging words from a man who is grappling with this incurable disease. Now, he goes on in in the letter to talk about some of the projects that he's working on and how he hopes that he'll be able to rewrite his systematic theology, which you may know, which is really a tome, a life's work, 1,600 pages. And he's hoping that he will you know, be able to finish that um, while he still has the strength and, and the capacity. And he goes on and he concludes his letter like this. He says, I would appreciate your prayers for the projects I mentioned above and for continuing good medical care. And also, if the Lord wills, for partial or full healing, whether through medicine or through his miraculous intervention. And here are his final words. I am at peace. I am at peace. And it leaves a question for us, doesn't it? Are you at peace? Am I at peace? In the middle of whatever suffering or challenge or difficulty you might be going through, can you say that you are at peace? Well, good morning. I'm glad I have your attention. Um, We don't always start on such a somber and serious note here at Westminster Chapel. It's not all doom and gloom, I promise. But um, I just wanted to start with something that was a little bit sharp this morning to get your attention. Because as a community, we want to grapple with the challenging questions of life. And they're here all the time. And um, I hope that as we go through this, you will not in any way be offended. I know that this begins to touch on some sensitive issues, but I hope that you get a sense for the heart, which is that we want to live in the freedom and the grace and the peace that God gives us. And so we're willing to kind of go through and to to take on some of these bigger issues. If you're with us for for the first time, welcome. I am Keegan. I'm married to Hannah, who is playing the keys, and we've got a little son, Benjamin. And we're in the middle of a, a series called Behold and Become." where we are looking at these encounters that people have had with God, where they've seen the presence of God face to face, and it has transformed and changed them forever. And so this morning, as was read to you, we are looking at the story of Gideon, this man who encounters God. And after encountering him, he builds an altar to the Lord, and he declares, the Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. I'm sure you could agree with me that we could do with a little bit more peace in our own lives, in our own hearts, in the world that we live in. Think about the war in Ukraine. We think about the kind of political polarization that we're seeing across the world. We think about the conflict in Tigray, in Ethiopia. Racial inequality, all of these issues, this lack of peace, this restlessness that is in our world. And so we long for more peace. And so my hope this morning is that as we look at the story of Gideon, that we too might behold something of God, the Lord of peace. In the Hebrew, the words are Jehovah Shalom, Shalom meaning peace, which just talks about the beautiful complete peace that comes only from God and only from looking at Him. It, is, it speaks to the way that He created the world in the Garden of Eden, set up as it was intended to be, where there was no death, there was no pain, there was no suffering. Perfect peace and unity between one another and perfect relationship with God. And so we're going to look at this God of peace. It is a defining characteristic peace of who God is. And so, my message this morning is quite simple. There's two parts to it. I just want to leave you with two encouragements to help you and to help me behold the God of peace. And it's these two the first is to trust in the Lord's goodness again, and the second is that we would let the Lord's kindness move us to repentance. And for each part, as we go through it, I'm stealing a little bit from um, a practice called Lecture Divina, or you may have used the Lecture 365 app. And the idea is that we want to just stew on some words of God and really meditate and let them soak deep into our hearts. So in each half of this message, I'm going to just pause a couple of times as we go through to read one verse from Psalm 116 to just let you have a moment to reflect and to digest the words. So the first point, trust in the Lord's goodness, And I've intentionally said, again, because I think sometimes we have times in our lives where we are trusting God's goodness, but as we go through challenge and difficulty, it becomes hard to keep trusting God's goodness. And so for some of us, I think there'll be a call this morning to come back to trust again in God's goodness. So let's pause for a moment and read this verse from Psalm 116. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. So, to understand the story of Gideon, we need to start by looking at what was happening to the people of Israel at the time when Gideon first appears and what was going on was that the Israelites had been severely oppressed by a neighboring nation called the Midianites and the Bible tells us that this had been going on for seven years and so it starts like this in the beginning of Judges uh, chapter 6 and the, the words will be up on the screen it says that the Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in mountains caves and strongholds wherever the Israelites planted their crops Marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land, destroying the crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming in with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was reduced to starvation, or other translations say brought very low by the Midianites. So here we see the chosen people of God, the Israelite nation, going through the severe oppression, continual war, year after year after year, for seven years it's been going on. Every time they try to just simply plant some crops to subsist off the land, they get invaded, they get oppressed, they are living in fear. And in fact, when we meet Gideon in the story that was read to us, he's hiding in a wine press, which would have been sort of a hole in the ground, beating wheat out, which really is an activity which should have been done outside where there was wind that could help separate the chaff from the grain. And he was probably doing this in fear, knowing that at any moment these marauders could come in for what they were looking for, to steal the food of the Israelites and to leave them to starvation. Now, if you ask me, I think it's pretty reasonable that in this situation, Gideon and the Israelites begin to doubt the goodness of God. And you may may be be in a similar situation, maybe not quite the same suffering, but it may be totally understandable that you have begun to doubt the goodness of God. And we read about what Gideon says when this this being, this sort of this angel of the Lord or this messenger from God appears to him. He says, Gideon sort of says to him, "'Please, my Lord, if, if, if God is really with us, then why has all of this happened to us? And where are all of his wonderful deeds?' That our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? He has the story of Moses parting the sea to kind of go through to the promised land. He's saying, God, if you're really with us, why have you left us? Why have you not intervened the way that our fathers have told us that you would? And he concludes, but now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Is there a challenging situation in your life that's causing you to doubt the goodness of God? Maybe to say, God, are you real? God, why did you let that opportunity just be stripped away from me? Why do bad things always seem to happen to me? Why have you let me suffer like this? Why have you forsaken me? I'm not suggesting that we don't ask these questions. I think it's really important that we take these difficult questions to God, that we work them through with God. But what I do want to try to caution this morning and really call us back to recognize is that when we go through these processes of suffering and difficulty and questioning, what can happen is we begin to doubt the goodness of God. John Eldridge writes a book called Walking with God, and he puts it like this. He says that we have a tendency to make these agreements in our hearts about what we believe to be true about God and sometimes they're right and sometimes we make agreements with things that are not true we say God you're only good in those times but not in these and so he points out this this tendency and and the the big issue that, I, that he, he gets to, and I, I really have sort of seen this in my experience as a Christian, is that when we believe the wrong kind of in, inaccuracies or, or errors about God and His goodness, it begins to quench the work of the Spirit in our lives. It's as though these, these lies that we've led become roadblocks for God's Spirit trying to get through to us, His presence wanting to work in our lives, our experience of Him and His goodness, because we've chosen to believe something about God that is not true. And so, again, I'd like us just to pause for a moment and just think about, are there any of these areas in your life, maybe, where you've made an agreement like that, which said, you know, when something along the lines of, God is good except when, or God is good but, dot, dot, dot. We'll have a moment to respond at the end of the service, but I want us just to go back to our psalm that that we read Um, That verse, return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Now, why am I so convinced about the goodness of God? Well, if you fast forward the story and you see what happens as, as this plays out in the story of Gideon, God steps into the situation and calls Gideon and says to him, you are going to be my chosen person who's going to bring salvation to the people of Israel. You're going to bring peace to the nation. And don't miss the beautiful irony here. It was in that moment of deepest doubt when Gideon was saying, God, why have you forsaken me? That God himself, stepping into the situation to bring peace in the moment of suffering. And maybe this is your moment, maybe you're going through a difficult time or struggling with something, maybe this is the moment where God wants to step into your life to bring you peace. Now I must caveat that bringing of God's peace and the salvation that comes doesn't mean that things are going to be always easy or that life will never have its difficulties or that we should expect this unbridled happiness and live a little bit in the clouds. That's not what it means. There will be times where there will be pain and there will be tears. But I'm fully convinced that in those moments, God would want us to know his comfort and his peace. When I was a younger Christian um, and doing my undergraduate degree down in Cape Town. I was in a relationship for a couple of years, which was quite unhealthy. Um, There was sort of a growing codependency between myself and this girl that I was seeing. And I began to get kind of isolated and isolated from my friends and eventually realized that actually God didn't want me in this relationship. And so I had to call it off, and we went through what was quite a messy breakup. And I remember in that time feeling so alone. So alone. It's like I had walked away from my friends. Suddenly this girl I was totally in love with with wasn't there anymore. And I used to walk around campus and make sure that I always had a book with me. Because if I got stranded at lunch with no one around me, I would just take out my book. So I didn't sort of seem like a loner and I had something to preoccupy my time. And it was a really difficult moment. I feel like I remember it felt like God was sort of taking a paint scraper and scraping old paint off of me. But there was also in that time an incredible experience of God's goodness and just a tangible sense of him and his sweetness. I used to, I lived with a couple of Christian guys and we would pray sometimes in the morning and I just remember sensing the goodness of God in those moments in a way that I just have never experienced at another time. And so I believe that God wants us to know his peace and his comfort in the suffering. And so whether you are Suffering for your faith, suffering because of the sin in someone else's life, suffering because of sin in your own life, take confidence in this promise of Romans 8.28, which says that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. If you have put your faith and your trust in Christ, God is working all things for your good. I think it's important that we go on to Romans 8.29 where it talks about the fact that what good means in the eyes of God is that we would be transformed and look more like the person of Christ. And sometimes that's a challenging process and there's a difficult road that needs to be walked. Jesus himself walked perhaps the most challenging road of all. A.W. Potosa, well-known Christian writer, puts it like this. He says, but all will be well. In a world like this, tears will have their therapeutic effects. The healing balm distilled from the garments of the unfolding presence cures our ills before they become fatal. The knowledge that we are never alone calms the troubled sea of our lives and speaks peace to our souls. Jesus himself said that in this world we will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. There's a beautiful ending for every story, for every suffering. Whether it's in this life or in the life to come, there is a beautiful ending. And so my prayer this morning is that we would begin to put our trust back in the goodness of God again, that we would see that he is working. Maybe you don't see it right now, but I want you to know, take heart in these stories, take heart in the promises of God, that he is working your situation for your good. Let's pause again on our psalm. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. We're going to move on to my second half and my second point for this morning, which is that we would let the Lord's kindness lead us to repentance, that in doing this, we will see and behold more of the peace of God. We're going to pause again on Psalm, a different verse now in Psalm 116, which says this, it says, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion." I think to properly understand the compassion of God in the story that we've read about the Israelites and Gideon, we need to understand the state of the Israelites. At the beginning of Judges, in the very first verse, it says that the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And they then cry out to God, and God sends them a prophet, and the words of the prophet read like this. It says, and I, God... Said to you, the people of Israel, I am the Lord your God, and you shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But you have not obeyed my voice. I find this quite intriguing that the Israelites in some senses, they had abandoned God. They had gone and started worshipping the gods of the Amorites. They would have been bowing down to the God of Asherah saying, won't you bless our land? Won't you give us fruitful harvests? Won't you, the goddess of war, won't you come and, and, and help us in this battle that we fight? But yet when things are not working out, they look to God and say, God, why have you forsaken us? It's kind of intriguing, right? Tim Tim Keller. puts it like this. He says, the Israelites had not abandoned the worship of God for idols. They had combined the worship of God with idols. And we see that in Gideon's life, don't we? He he talks about how his father had told him stories of the Israelites being saved and rescued out of the land of Egypt. And yet at the same time, later on in the story, we read about the fact that Gideon's own father has a temple to Baal and an Asherah pole in his house. Here it is, this worship of God and of idols. And is that not true for so many of us? We come to church on a Sunday. We're in a life group. Maybe you've signed up for a Become course. But at the same time, maybe you're chasing idols of progress, of power, of achievement, of status, maybe of lust of comfort, of reasonable enjoyment, of security, of self-indulgence. All these other things. God, we've got you figured out. I'll come to church on a Sunday, that's enough, but I don't have peace because I need that thing. And when I get it, then I will have peace. And I've experienced this in my own life. (laughs) Hannah and I have been Thinking a little bit about um, potentially buying a place, and it's, it's as though this thing is going to give us this peace. We kind of obsess over it. Every night we're on right move, looking at properties, going, "Come on, can't we find a place where we're going to find something that fits in our budget?" And da 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 da, and it leaves us feeling a bit restless at times. God alone doesn't seem to be enough. We need this thing, and when we get it, then we'll have. I don't hear what I'm not saying. These are not all bad things, but it's, the issue is when they become ultimate things that they displace our sense of peace. And so what is it for you? A less stressful job, fewer family responsibilities? Praise from particular people? Is it a promotion at work that hasn't been coming your way? A healthier body? Better behaved kids? Let's not let these things become ultimate Things. The interesting thing in, in the story of Gideon is that um, his situation also gets worse. Not only is he sort of stuck in idolatry and having this kind of dual worship and going through this immense suffering, but he begins to encounter God. And if we just sort of recap what happens, in the first couple of verses, this angel of the Lord, this sort of unknown and mysterious presence, kind of appears to Gideon and says to him, Gideon, I'm going to use you to save the people of Israel. And he goes, what? Are you are you crazy? Do you know who I am? Not in a good sense. Do you know who I am? I'm the least in my father's house from the weakest clan in the tribe of Manasseh, a less than mediocre defecting tribe of Israel. You're going to use me? This can't be God speaking to me. And it then goes on. And eventually he he decides, you know what? If this really is you, God, I'm going to test you. I'm going to you need to give me a sign. God, if you can just wait here for me, I'm going to go and fetch this goat and this bit of bread that I've made and I'm going to bring it back to you. And then I need a sign to really be sure that this actually is you because I'm not so convinced. And of course, he brings this bread and this this goat and he puts it on a rock and this angel of the Lord reaches out the, the tip of its staff and this fire bursts out from the rock and consumes the goat and the bread and then this being vanishes. taken about 10 verses for Gideon to realize and then we read this in verse 22 Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord and Gideon said alas O Lord God for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face I wonder what was going through Gideon's mind at that time he will have had in his mind the story of Moses, who says, God, show us your glory. And God says to Moses, I can't. If anyone sees me, they will surely die. The presence of God, so holy, so good, so different, so set apart from anything that we know, that if anything comes into contact with it, which is not perfectly good, it will just be incinerated. Can you imagine in that moment, Gideon realizing, this is, I've seen God. Seen God Himself, he must have thought, "This is it. I'm done, Lord. I'm done." The fear of the Midianites would have paled into insignificance in that moment. He will have realized that all his back and forth, this ten verses of tussling of doubt in God, etc., he wasn't talking to just someone about it. Suddenly, he would have realized he would have confessed sin directly to God. Would have been totally exposed. And what goes on? Verse 23 But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. And then Gideon builds an altar to the Lord and calls it, the Lord is peace. Imagine the deep relief in those moments. When Gideon realizes, God, you're true. It's all true. All the things my father's told me about you. It's all true. And I doubted you. And I'm stuck in sin and idolatry. And I'm suffering. And I've doubted you and your goodness. But you are good you are good, you are the God of peace, you've spared me, you've spared me, and you've called me to bring salvation to my people. It must have been this moment where Gideon has this huge realization, this deep sense of relief, this knowing of the goodness of God and his peace. And that's what's on offer for all of us this morning. If we pause again on our psalm. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. There is good reason to believe that this mysterious being that Gideon encounters is actually a manifestation of Jesus himself. Notice the similarities, this fact that he sort of appears humanly in some way. It's not obvious that this is God. Gideon could have overlooked him a little bit like Jesus. And in verse verse 14, there's this amazing moment where it no longer refers to the angel of the Lord, but it says, the Lord, Yahweh, the very personal name of God, turns to Gideon. Turns to Gideon. And there's a whole bunch more about why I believe that, but I don't have time to go into it. But here was Gideon seeing Jesus himself, having God turn to him to call him. And in fact, it's a beautiful illustration of Jesus coming in to call Gideon to bring salvation to Israel, foreshadowing what Jesus himself was going to do thousands of years later that he was going to step into the world to bring salvation not only to the Israelites, but to the entire world, the greater Gideon, Jesus himself. And so no matter what your situation is, Jesus has stepped 2,000 years ago, he lived a perfect life we couldn't live. He suffered in a way that is at least comparable to your suffering, if not more. Bearing all of our sin, our shame, our difficulty, all of the judgment of God for all the things that are not good and holy in this world. And in 1 Colossians it says this For in him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus has brought peace. Jesus has brought peace to your situation. And I believe that by the power of his spirit, he wants you to experience that right now, right where you are. That our prayer wouldn't be, God, take this irritation or this annoyance or this suffering or this difficulty away from me. That that wouldn't be our prayer, but that our prayer would be, God, give me Grace and power and peace to endure and become more like Christ, that the world would know your peace, that more would come to know you. Would that be our prayer? So I'm going to invite the band to come up um, and just bring this to a close. It leaves us with this question. If I just come back to my point, which was that the kindness of God should lead us to repentance. What what are we to do? We are to repent, we are to turn away from these other things. Whether it's a a belief about God that he's not good, we are to say, God, I know that that's not true. I choose to believe on you and on your promises. Whether it's something that you're chasing, that thing that you're hoping will give you peace, to turn away and say, God, I know it's not going to give me peace. It's only going to be found in me. Turn and come back to him. And that's what Gideon does in the story. We didn't read about it, but it goes on. In the, he goes on to sort of tear down this altar to Baal and this kind of uh, this Asherah that is in his father's house, and to lead the Israelites back towards God. Our story of Wayne Grudem that I started with, um, just to give you the update, that was 2015. And the thing is, Wayne Grudem continues to suffer from Parkinson's. But in late 2020, he did also release a new updated version of his systematic theology, which he felt God was calling him to do. Despite the disease, he was fulfilling the calling that he felt God had for his life. And in an interview, he says this uh, with the Gospel Coalition. He says, I'm thankful to God that the progression of Parkinson's disease has been slow, uncommonly slow, according to my doctor. I don't know what the Lord has in store for me in future. But I know that many people have told me they're praying for me. And I'm grateful for that. Why don't we stand? God may not remove your suffering. But if you cry out to Him and you turn to Him and you yield to him, He will... Give you peace. We can have our psalm up. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. Won't you come to Him? No, if we can just close our eyes. Won't you just come to Him now? There's no right or wrong. Way really to do this, other than to turn to God, to look to Him, to cry out to Him, to to call on Him. And God, I pray, won't Your peace come down? let Your peace come?